Well, picture the scene in your mind. You're an Israelite slave on the eve of the first Passover. And the sun is, is sinking towards the horizon. And you're sitting beside your animal shed and you're sharpening your knife. And beside you on the ground is a, is a rough wooden bucket. Empty except for that bunch of hyssop herb. You'll use that as a paintbrush later, according to the prophet's instructions. Uh, You look back to your knife. Now is no time to get distracted as you sharpen that blade. Twilight, he said. That time is not very far away. You hear the the bleating of the lamb in the corral, and your gaze drifts over to that, that little white lamb that your family had been caring for and feeding and sheltering for the past two weeks. It had been carefully selected. No blemishes, no diseases. It had to be a strong, healthy young lamb, a male. And the children had grown a bit attached to it, despite your warnings. It's time, you think to yourself. And so you, you stand up, You stretch, you walk towards the gate, you open it, you step inside the corral, and the the little lamb comes running up to you unsuspectingly, thinking that perhaps you'll give it some feed. And you hesitate. The knife feels like it weighs a thousand pounds in your hand. And you think to yourself, is this really necessary? But then you remember Your mind goes back to all the wonders that Yahweh God had struck Egypt with, the Nile turning to blood, the frogs, the gnats, the hail, the darkness. Every warning of God had come true. Every warning. Every word of His had been kept. And and still, here you were, a slave of Pharaoh still. But... But God had said that after tonight's plague, after tonight's plague, you would be set free, that this would be the final plague. After this one, Pharaoh would finally let us go. You grip the knife in your hand. You don't want to take any chances. If you don't go through with this, you know that your family will suffer the plague along with the Egyptians. Please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 12, page 50 in the Pew Bible. Exodus chapter 12 this morning as we continue our study through the book of Exodus. This chapter is the culmination of this part of Exodus that's been focusing on the plagues. These these demonstrations of the sovereign power of Yahweh God, that He is Lord over nature. He's Lord over the water and over the land, over the weather and over the animals, over the natural and over the spiritual, over the supernatural, and over Pharaoh himself. These, these plagues have demonstrated the supreme power of God, that there is no one like Yahweh, that He is Lord in all the earth. 
And yet, up to this point, Pharaoh had been stubbornly resisting God's command to let his people go. But now we come to a great turning point in the story with this final plague, this historic moment. And at this historic moment, at this turning point, God instituted an act of remembrance, a strange yet meaningful sacrifice and meal that was to be at the center of Israelite life and consciousness from then on. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read this this chapter this morning, starting in verse 1. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months, It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. 
whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, and he will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You you shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would 
also keep the Passover to the Lord. Let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. You may be seated. So there you are. You're standing in the animal corral. You turn your gaze toward the western horizon. You realize that the time has come. And so without further thought, you hold the lamb close and you do what has to be done. And after collecting its blood in your bucket, you walk to the front door of your house and you begin marking your doorframe with its blood using that, that bunch of hyssop plants. A little while later, the lamb is roasting over the fire in your hearth. Your family is gathered around your table. Your wife sets out the unleavened bread, flat and cracker-like, and the greens. And gathered around the table, you eat the meal in haste. And you're encouraging your children to hurry up. You have your shoes on, and you're dressed like you're ready to go on a trip. There isn't much conversation as the older kids sense the the seriousness of the situation. The younger ones probably don't really understand what's going on and you'll have to encourage them again and again to finish their meal. But once everyone has eaten their fill, you take the leftovers, you, you burn them in the fire, and as the fire dies down, you lay down to sleep. The children are falling asleep, but you lie still and quiet. You're unable to fall asleep. The house has grown dark and the fire has died down, but still you lay there with your eyes wide open, staring into the darkness. Every little sound from outside causes you to jump. Is that him? Is he coming? Surely he'll see the blood on our doorframe. Surely he'll pass over us. Will you hear him when he comes? What will it be like? You look over to where your wife is lying, you see the, the glint in her eyes, informing you that she too is wide awake. A little while, while later, you hear the faint sound in the distance in the Egyptian quarter of, of crying, of wailing, and then it grows louder and louder, and it continues on and on. And then you're startled by, by a knock at the door. You jump to your feet your shoes are still on, of course. You, you walk over to the door and you open it. And it's one of your tribal elders informing you that Pharaoh has given the order. That you and all of the people of Israel have been set free. And you can take your kids with you. You can take your wife with you. You can take all the rest of your animals with you. And you are free to go to worship Yahweh. It, it's, it almost sounds like a dream. Like This is what... This is what God had said, and yet, the, now that the moment has come, is, is this really real? You, you shake your children awake, you grab your things that are sitting all, all packed in readiness on the table, and the streets are already filling up with Hebrew families. Keeping your, your family close, you follow your tribal elder, and, and your tribal clan falls into that great river of people, that mass of humanity that's flowing out 
of the bondage of Egypt. And as, as the sun is rising that next morning, you're making your way not to the labor camps, but there's the wide open country set before you and freedom. The Lord has delivered you and the exodus has begun. What that must have been like. But as, as we consider this final plague, as we consider the death of the firstborn and, and God's delivering his people, what is the main point that is being made in this chapter? What is it that, that this scripture is meant to teach to its, to its original audience and by way of application to us? There's many things we could consider and, and talk about, but what's the main burden of this text that's trying to get across to us. The original recipients of this portion of Scripture uh, would have been the next generation of Israelites after, after the generation that had originally come out of the land of Egypt. It would have been their children. Uh, Moses wrote the book of Exodus toward the end of his life, and its original recipients would have likely been that next generation that, led by Joshua, were about to go into the promised land. And so, what lesson would God, through the pen of Moses, uh, be giving to this new generation of Israelites through this account in Exodus 12? Of course, as they, as they read all of the plagues together, it would have reminded them of God's supreme power over all earthly and supernatural powers, and that they shouldn't fear the Canaanites or the Canaanite gods, that the God who delivered them from Pharaoh would deliver the promised land to them and deliver them from the giants and the great walled cities that they would face. They would have remembered God's faithfulness in keeping his covenant promises to, to the fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But what about specifically chapter 12 here, this, this, this account of the Passover meal in Egypt, the blood on the doorposts, the detailed instructions for how it was to be observed, the Feast of Unleavened Bread that was to be held for seven days after that Passover night. As we read this chapter, what is its main lesson for us? Well, as, as we read this chapter, one thing that is repeated over and over again is the need to remember. The need to remember God's deliverance. We see it from the beginning of chapter 12 where God says, in verse 2, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So God was ordering the calendar of Israel around this event that was taking place, that, that took place on that Passover night. Every new year would begin with, this, with a remembrance of this central act of deliverance through, through the Passover it would, it would remind them as they, that year began with them selecting their lambs and, and killing the Passover sacrifice and eating that meal together. They would be remembered that their time as a nation, in a way, kind of began, re-began re on that night in Egypt. The need to remember. We see it again in verse 14, God says very clearly there that this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. And in verse 17, he says, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. 
Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. So again, this, this act of remembrance tied to God's act of deliverance. In verse 24, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. In verses 25 through 27, Moses, he pictures the people having entered the land of Canaan, observing the Passover, and their children asking them why. What's the point of this? Why are we doing this? And that they will be able to answer that this is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. They must remember God's deliverance. They must faithfully observe this act of deliverance, this act of remembrance of God's deliverance. They had to know what it was that they were remembering so that they could pass it on to their children. Look down to verse 42, where there's a summary given of Israel's time in Egypt until that final night, that Passover night of watching. It says, it was a night of watching by the Lord to to bring them out of the land of Egypt, so this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And this is followed by rules for how to keep the Passover. In verse 47, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And then if you continue on into chapter 13, you look at verse 3 of chapter 13, Moses says to the people, remember this day which on, in which you came out from the land of Egypt. And, on, and if you go down to verse 10 of chapter 13, you shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. So again and again and again, what is being repeated? The, the need, the necessity to remember God's deliverance. Do not forget it. Observe this annual feast according to God's instructions. Teach the next generations their meaning. Do not forget. Remember your deliverance. Remember your deliverance. This is the main lesson. It would have been the main instruction, the the main uh, lesson of this text for the first audience. And it's also the main lesson for us. We need to remember our deliverance. More on that in a moment. But first, before we apply this to ourselves, we need to fill this in a little bit. Remember your deliverance. We also need to remember how. Israel would have, as they kept this feast, they would not only remember that they were delivered, but they would remember how they were delivered. They would have remembered, uh, the focus would have been on what was it that, that shielded us from the judgment to which the Egyptians were subjected. It was the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. When Yahweh visited Egypt in judgment, it was the blood of the Lamb that protected the people of Israel from sharing in that dreadful judgment. The blood of the Lamb. And so, why the blood? Why the, the blood? This, why this smearing of, of crimson on the doorposts? Well, it wasn't to inform God as though God forgot where his people lived. I mean, after he was able to keep their area in light as he shrouded the rest of Egypt in darkness, as he he was able to 
to kill the Egyptians' livestock, but to keep his people's livestock away. He hadn't forgotten all of a sudden which ones were the Israelites, which ones belonged to him. This wasn't to inform God. God knows all things. So putting the blood on the doorposts wasn't due to any deficiency in God's knowledge. There's a better explanation. To the observant, the principle would be pretty clear that this lamb, with its blood shed, was a substitute. It it was to die in the place of the Israelites. In chapter 12 and verse 13, we read, And when I see the blood, God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, according to chapter 12 and verse 30, it says there that there was not a house without someone dead. And initially, when we read that, we, uh, we think of the Egyptians. Indeed, that's the main point there. But it's also true of the Israelites. There was someone dead in the houses of the Israelites as well, only it wasn't any of the Israelites. It was the lamb. The lamb had died rather than God's people. I like what well, Alec Motcher points out. He says, he says, what is not so obvious is that there was also someone dead in the houses of the Israelites too, for the lamb had died and had been brought in to the houses to provide the main part of the Passover feast. There was not a house in which someone was not dead. Now this lamb had to be selected according to the number of those who could eat it. And this was probably part of why they had to begin their preparations two weeks prior. This couldn't be like a last-minute thing. They had to make sure that everything was ready, that there would be enough lamb for everyone in the house to eat. Everyone had to partake. This eating was a way of identifying with the sacrifice, partaking in the benefit it provided. And that benefit... What was that benefit? Well, it was living through the plague of of judgment that was sweeping across Egypt. And so by all of these things, it's being hinted at that the life of this lamb is being, being laid down in place of theirs as a substitute for them. Now, you might ask, uh, why would, why would everyone in the house need to partake? I mean, wasn't just the firstborn at risk here? Why not just have the firstborn of each family partake of the lamb? Why, why did everyone need to participate? Well, the firstborn was the one at risk. But in this case, the firstborn was the entire nation of Israel. Let me explain what I mean. Back in chapter 4, right after the burning bush, God, God's initial challenge to Pharaoh is, is laid out as kind of a contest of the firstborn. He says, he says, Israel is my firstborn son. He speaks of the whole nation. He speaks of them as my firstborn. Let my son go that they may serve me. And if not, I will kill your firstborn son. And so... God is he, he's picturing the entire nation of Israel 
as his firstborn in this case. And therefore, all of them needed to partake, or else all of them, it seems, would have been at risk. Pharaoh's firstborn is a single individual, and yet the Lord's firstborn is this corporate entity of Israel, all the people. And so the lamb had to match the number and the needs of the whole community of God's people. And so when the lamb died, it was a substitute for the Lord's firstborn. True, the people, all of, all of the people of Israel whom he had chosen and purposed to redeem from Egypt through the blood of this lamb. And so why the blood? Because of the principle of substitution, a life for life. The sacrificial lamb in place of God's people. They would be redeemed from death under God's judgment, but that redemption would come at a price. God had, to this point, he'd been striking the land of Egypt, sending these plagues, He'd been striking Egypt with his wonders, and he'd been doing it almost as if from a distance, as if he'd been removed. He would, he would tell Moses or Aaron to raise their staff. But in this case, the language is more immediate. God says of the final plague, he says, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And I think the the lesson there is to point out that when God showed up, when the Holy One of Heaven came down in judgment upon Egypt in this final plague, there was danger for Israelite sinners and for Egyptian sinners. That as the Holy God came down in judgment, nobody was safe, no matter what race you belonged to. Because ultimately you're a part of Adam's race, the human race. And all have sinned and fallen in Adam. And all of us are sinners. And no sinner is safe in the presence of the holy God. This would have instructed the observant Israelite of something that we too must realize. That we are not in good standing with our maker in and of ourselves as we are. In fact, all of us are liable to God's judgment. No matter our ethnicity, no matter our status, no matter our standing in society, no matter who our parents were, all of us are liable to God's judgment because all have sinned. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. To the observant Israelite, this would have been a humbling reminder that we only survived, the only reason we survived was because of the death of the substitute whose blood was shed in our place. And so they were to remember their deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. They were to remember their deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. And friends, this, this was meant to point them to a greater deliverance, not merely from slavery to Pharaoh, not merely from physical death on that night, but from the bondage and curse of sin brought upon this world through Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. Freedom from sin's slavery, not just Pharaoh's. Freedom from the death 
what the Bible calls the second death and the eternal condemnation of the lake of fire. This, this Passover lamb and this deliverance was meant to foreshadow and point forward to a much greater deliverance wrought by a much greater lamb. You know, they looked to the future. They, they saw the gospel in these types and shadows. And we look back, and with clearer vision, uh, when Jesus came, what did John the Baptist say? He said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on, this most faced, on the most fateful Passover night in human history, it was Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was put to death. He gave up his life as a substitute so that others, all who looked to him in faith, would, come, would be in safety under his blood at the cost of his precious blood. He came under the judgment of God so that we who are under his blood would survive that judgment, that, that principle of substitution. When I see the blood... I will pass over you. Your blood will not be shed. So friend, what about you this morning? Are you trusting in the Lamb of God? Are you under the blood of the Lamb this morning? Do you see that there is no other way to escape the judgment of God that is coming except to be under the blood of the Lamb? Are you ready to entrust yourself and your eternity entirely to the sacrifice that God has provided. Friend, it's an all-sufficient sacrifice. There's, there's nothing more that needs to be added. What payment could you add on top of the blood of Christ shed for you? His own life, the life of the perfect and sinless, spotless Son of God, giving His own life as the payment for your sins. If you are not trusting in Him this morning, I would encourage you, I would call upon you to believe on Him and be saved. There's no work you need to do. There's no, there's no act you need to perform. No special set of words you need to say. Simply look to Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. Rest your hope in Him this morning. Recognize that you can do nothing to save yourself and that you desperately need His sacrifice and that your only plea for pardon before the judgment seat of God is the blood of the Lamb. And so, Emmanuel Baptist Church, remember your deliverance. Remember your deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. And as we, as we remember our deliverance, as we come to application, how? How do we remember our deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. Are there any special ways that we're called upon to do this today? I mean, here in Exodus 12, God didn't just tell them to, hey, remember, hey, don't forget, but he also gave them a particular way that they were to remember their deliverance by observing this Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what about us as, as New Testament believers, as New Covenant believers do we keep the feasts? Do we, do we observe the Passover? Well, yes. 
In a true sense, we're going to do so this morning. 1 Corinthians 5 says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. In other words, he is the Passover lamb. The one that all the other Passover lambs were pointing to. And, and we don't have to slay him. We don't have to make a sacrifice. This sacrifice has already been made. Christ, our Passover lamb, past tense, has been slain. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, these words apply to you. Christ, your Passover lamb, has been slain. And so we observe the Passover now as it is meant to be observed. We observe it, we observe what those old covenant Passovers were ultimately pointing towards. We partake in the fulfillment of the signs and the symbols of the Passover here in Exodus 12 through faith in Christ being under his blood and through remembrance of his body. Him, him being our Passover lamb, his blood shed as our substitutionary sacrifice. And we do this in ceremonial form in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper. For on that final Old Covenant Passover night, Jesus changed the custom. He infused it with new meaning by the authority that He had. And He gave new instructions to the new covenant people of God as He was there in the upper room with His followers, with His disciples. Because there would be a new deliverance that they would need to remember. A new deliverance. He said to them, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. They were to remember now, not, not the exodus from Egypt, but they were to remember Christ and their exodus from the kingdom of darkness, brought out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so, uh, another thing to, uh, to observe about this is that, that the Old Covenant Passover meal, who was to take it? Who was to observe it? Who was allowed to take the Passover? Well, it was for those who were God's people by covenants, His covenant people. And those, those outside the covenant, those who hadn't been circumcised, were not permitted to take it. Now they could if they decided to join themselves to the people of God, to become an Israelite, in other words, through the rite of circumcision if, if for the males. If they were to join themselves to the people of God and become as a native of the land, as a native of the, the people of God, then they could partake of the Passover. But only once they became part of the people of God, part of that covenant community. We, and again, this is looking at the very end of chapter 12, all these stipulations for who could partake of the Passover. But in a similar way, in a similar way, the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal for the new covenant community, the new covenant people of God, which are believers, for believers. The Passover was to bring Israel together as they, as they reconstituted themselves each year in this act of remembrance as the, the people that God had delivered out of the land of Egypt. 
the Lord's Supper has a similar function in the life of the church. As we partake it together, this is our act of remembrance. We're kind of reconstituting, as it were, coming around the table of our king, remembering and identifying ourselves as those God has delivered out of the bondage of sin through the blood of this of his sacrifice. We're remembering his sacrifice through partaking of its memorial. And this is one reason that we fence the table. In other words, uh, you know, before I, I distribute, the, before the Lord's Supper is distributed, I kind of say a few words about who can take it. Uh, I'm not trying to just be a, a stingy Baptist. I'm trying to be biblical when I do that. Uh, I, I see that this is not my supper, it's the Lord's Supper. And it's to be distributed according to His commands. I'm not at liberty to innovate uh, and, and, and tweak it and, and do with it as I please. It is the Lord's Supper. And so the example that we see in Scripture is that this supper is given to the church. It's given to the followers of Christ. Uh, it's when they came together as a church that they partook of the Lord's Supper. It's is something that's spoken of as part of the, the life of those who had come to faith in Christ, that they, that they uh, listened to the apostles' teaching and, and they partook of prayers and of the breaking of bread, which is, I believe, a reference to the Lord's Supper. And so the, the example we see in Scripture is that this, this is a, a church ordinance. It's a, it's a meal that's given to the New Covenant community, which are those who are... Uh, part of God's people through faith in Christ. Those who, whose sins have been forgiven, according to, to Hebrews 8, those who have the, the law of God written on their heart, these are members of the new covenant. It's, it's for believers who have evidenced their faith outwardly as God has instructed in their baptism into the triune name of God, into the people of God. Just as, just as in, in the, under the old covenant, they would have to evidence their desire to be a part of the covenant community through circumcision. So in the new covenant, through baptism, brought in to the people of God. That, that baptism not being a, a saving act, but being something that is a demonstration of their faith, an evidence of the faith that they have in God. So this is an example we see in the, in the pages of the New Testament, and it's the example that we, we seek to follow as a church that this new covenant meal is given to the new covenant community, to believers, those whose sins have been forgiven, as Hebrews 8 says, who have the law of God written on their hearts. It's not, it's not believers and their roommates, uh, believers and those that are related to them, believers and their children. It's for those who have identified as people of God through faith, uh, and then, of course, that faith evidencing itself outwardly in baptism. And so, I'm sure we can say more there. If you have questions about that, I'm happy to visit with you about that further. But one final word of application as we close. This, this remembrance of the precious blood of Christ as our deliverance, it's also meant to motivate us to live differently as a result. Uh, we, we thought about that a little bit with our, our scripture reading we had earlier from First Peter, it, it reminds you as believers of the precious blood of Christ. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says that we're to conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile, knowing something. 
knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, what were we ransomed with? But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Forgiveness wasn't cheap. Brothers and sisters, remember throughout the time of our, of our exile here in this world that forgiveness wasn't cheap, that we were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. And so fear treating God's ransom price for us as something just to be blown off, something that was, was expendable. Fear the, the wicked ingratitude that would run back to the arms of our old kidnapper, sin, which once held us in bondage. Remember from what you were delivered. Remember deliverance from the everlasting pain of the second death. Remember with what you were delivered. Remember your deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. Remember you were delivered with the precious blood of Christ, like those Passover lambs, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots.